Hello and welcome to another episode of the Smarter Securities podcast from Global Custodian in partnership with Swift. I'm John Watkins, Managing Editor of Global Custodian, and today I'm joined by Steve Wager, Head of Global Markets Management at BNY Mellon. Steve, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me. Now, you know, settlement times and the shift to T plus one are arguably the most talked about topic in security services right now, and I would say they probably have been for the last year or so. You know, I think it's a, a far-reaching discussion. It's a global issue that's impacting all kind of market participants and service providers. And it, it comes at this time of technological change and at a time where settlement failure rates are, are high and also uh, a prominent topic. So it's great to be talking with you, Steve, today, both as someone who holds the role you do at BMY Mellon, but also as the chair of the America's Focus Committee within the Association of Global Custodians. So I guess, firstly, while many talk about the T plus one and the impacts on the industry as a whole, perhaps you could start by explaining how you view the the impacts on the different players involved and perhaps starting with, with custodians. Sure. And, and I guess we'll all start, of course, selfishly speaking, is from the custodial perspective. And I think within the custody banks, we actually did a lot of the heavy lifting when the industry moved from T plus three to T plus two back in 2017. And that was really ensuring that our systems were robust to be able to handle a variety of settlement cycles being able to flex within those cycles based upon the requirements of our clients, and most importantly, be able to message out and reconcile uh, and, and really perform our asset safety requirements according to those new timelines. So the move from T plus two to T plus one, I don't want to say is going to be a non-issue for us, of course, uh, but really on the custodial side is going to be much lighter because of the fact what we're really going to be doing is tweaking our systems, right? Making sure that the data sets within our systems reflect the new defaulted settlement cycles, T plus two, T plus one, um, and in a lot of cases, T zero, right? Because I'm not sure most people recognize, but for fixed income instruments, at least here at BNY Mellon, we already process over 30% of our volume in the United States on a T plus zero basis already. Right, so we're actively working to be able to ensure that we can handle any kind of settlement um, activity as it comes up. I guess what we'll say that we're probably most focused on is in regards to process and controls. Right, again, so from a custody perspective, what we're concerned about is corporate actions processing, cash processing, uh, ensuring that default settlement cycles are known and understood across the industry, and then probably most importantly, claims and funding. Right, how do we ensure that the move to T plus one isn't going to make things worse? Right, because what we want is the industry to be able to ensure that it gets the maximum benefit out of a move to T plus one, which is largely focused on risk mitigation. I think we would all agree. But of course, everything that's ancillary around that risk mitigation is what we have to touch on a day to day basis just to ensure the longevity and the sustainability of our industry. So again, from a custodial perspective, very much focused on testing, integration, making sure that our systems are up to snuff, that our data is recognizing the new uh, settlement paradigm, um, and then basically ensuring that we can interact with our clients on that basis. If I then shift over to the investment community, right, um, that's very much focused on their ability to perform the confirm-affirm process under the new settlement cycle. And I think this is actually going to be a real challenge for people, right? Because obviously in the T plus two world that we have today, I don't want to call it a luxury, but we do have the benefit of being able to receive those allocations, reconcile, resolve any differences that might happen on a T plus one basis prior to settlement. Um, and I think it's simply been ingrained in a lot of back office processing that that T plus one cycle exists. Now to being able to move to a T zero in this situation, um, affirmation confirmation cycle prior to a T one settlement, 
is going to be tough for some people, right, to be able to manage because they're going to have to get things done by roughly 9 p.m. Eastern on T0, working that out with a, a global broker-dealer community, global and back office community. Um, I think it's going to take some intense work and process and procedure changes. Not, not you know, Lisa, which also comes along with ensuring that we get electronic confirmations, that basically that the reconciliations are robust, and simply that people have made the investment, most importantly, to be able to handle these new situations. There's certainly an element of kind of realism around this, Steve. Is, is you feel like that's a, a fair way to, to um, sum up your approach? You know, you, you're viewing both sides. So there's quite a lot of people that are either very um, just purely kind of pro T plus one, here's, here's all the benefits, or you know, others that think we should be racing all the way to T0 straight away. Yeah, and I would say, you know, I've been in custody for a long time. And I'm personally very pleased to see that we're making this move to T1 and then also into T0, hopefully eventually, right? So I just think it's it's 2022. <laughs> these The time for these types of things has, of course, arrived. And we need to show that we're able to move along with the technology, ensure that we're basically bringing best of breed. But to your point, we know that there's going to be problems, right? We know that there's going to be things that we have to work out. T1 is not going to be a panacea of efficiency initially, but the benefits that it'll bring to the table from risk mitigation far outweigh the efforts that we, as again, as an industry, will have to, to bring up to be able to ensure its, its effective implementation. If I look at some of those challenges, like I mentioned at the start, that there are high settlement failure rates that, are, that have occurred over the last you know, two years. I'm not sure on the exact US figures, but I know that in Europe it's been quite sustained. You know, it's, it's quite high and has been since March 2020. Does, does reducing a, a day on the settlement cycle kind of add, add to this problem, add to the challenge in that in that sense? I think initially it will. Um, you know, I've been outspoken to some degree in this space for a while now that I actually think that settlement failure is, is, is on a moderate basis, of course, is actually an indication of a well-functioning market, right? And that's because people are moving, we're doing inventory realignments, we've got securities lending interacting with all of this. So it's natural in my mind that there would be, let's just say, a 3 to 5% failure rate in an efficient marketplace. In regards to our move to T1, however, our expectation and my personal expectation is that we will have a period of six to nine months of increased volatility as people start to simply get to know the new process and procedure. And I do think specifically we're going to see a significant increase in fails. And that's also going to come across with a, a significant increase in claims. So one of the areas that we're, of course, focused on is trying to figure out how we're going to manage those claims most efficiently to be able to satisfy our clients and making sure that, again, we're performing the utmost that we can do for investor protections and asset safety. No, I'm glad to have you as an outspoken individual on this topic on the, on the podcast today. It's, uh, it makes for a very good conversation. So, And still, I read your, your note. Yeah, representing the Association of Global Custodians to, to the SEC. And if we do focus on the US for a moment, you suggested a later migration date than has been initially suggested. Would you mind just explaining some of the rationale behind that? And, and really, this is to your earlier point where we're just talking a little bit about realism here, right? Where we know as an industry that if we have an extra day to reconcile, it could make all the difference in the world. So what we're recommending to the SEC is that they plan this migration over the Labor Day weekend in the United States so that we have a three-day window to be able to process transactions, the initial set of transactions, reconcile them, and get set up for that initial day's worth of settlement activity. 
We just think it's a really a prudent move on behalf of the industry and particularly led from the SEC to be able to give us that little bit of a buffer uh, just to be able to ensure that we can make things happen as best that we can. Absolutely. It makes sense. And I guess this is, like I said, it's it's a global issue and perhaps the the U.S. maybe sparks on this global movement. Could you just touch, Steve, quickly upon you know, what you've seen in other countries and, and, and what this has started and maybe how other countries have had different approaches as well? Yeah, I think the most interesting one is probably India, where they were much in advance of the other countries in their move to T plus one, but they chose to actually stagger its implementation based upon security. Now, our experience has been that that has been difficult for clients to absorb, um, and it has come across with a fair amount of confusion in regards to its rollout, what are the requirements from that from a processing perspective. So really what we're hoping in the United States, of course, we have, you know, n number of securities greater uh, than India in the situation, but um, is that we're going to be looking to a big bang approach uh, for implementation as opposed to a phased approach. You know, and there's have even been some discussion in the industry about, and we're not sure how this would happen, but implementation based upon client segments versus securities, et cetera, all of which we just think adds undue complexity to an already complex scenario. Uh, and again, therefore recommending, at least in the U.S., we've got this big bang approach. What we're really hoping then, too, from a coordination perspective, um, is that both the uh, or both Canada and Mexico will fall in line from a time frame perspective with the U.S.'s move to T plus one, just because of the thing we think that that will reduce volatility, reduce complexity, reduce chaos in the marketplace as we get to roll this out. Because obviously the interplay between the U.S. and Canada, northbound, southbound flips, for example, if those are moving in different settlement cycles, um, it's going to result in problems, as well as result in problems for broker-dealers trying to move those securities into the central counterparty processing model, etc., all of which could be avoided if at least in North America we do then coordinate that um, from an implementation perspective. And is that something that works well from the T plus 3 to T plus 2 transition as well? I wish I could say that, but I, I really feel that the U.S. acted in isolation for the move to T plus two largely. We were a little bit of a follower in that situation because we had other large global markets that had already made that move. And I think we were playing a little bit of catch up. Where here, I think now the industry is trying to very much have much more of a concerted effort to actually get to the same place. Uh, and this move to T plus one is really sparking a lot of conversation, as you alluded to earlier, about T zero. But again, I, I can't underestimate the benefits or understate the benefits of, of us being able to do this on a coordinated basis. You'll probably notice that I'm, I'm resisting getting really into the T plus zero because I've got a, a big question. Yeah, uh, I know. But <laughs> the, the end, absolutely. So I'm not, I'm not ignoring that point. But what, what, while we're on the global topic, I think we have to talk about uh, Europe. And you know, I've been on panels and spoke to people and uh, maybe the word to, to use is, is resistant at the moment to, to the T plus one, shift to T plus one. Well, what, what do you see and what do you, what do you think about Europe following suit? I mean, it'd be interesting to hear your perspective here, but I guess what um, the feedback that I get and just from, from speaking to my own colleagues and clients uh, is simply that there's fatigue. So in Europe, the obviously the focus was on the release of CSDR, which was a, a significant body of work for everyone who was involved with that. We're still in the throes of its implementation. Um, and then to be able to immediately pivot into another big body of work for T plus one, um, I'm just not sure that there's resources and or appetite to be able to absorb it at the moment. That being said, um, of course, there is going to be a significant amount of pressure if all of North America moves to T1 uh, and that there's this difference between ourselves and Europe. Uh, 
because of the nature of cross-border transactions. Again, as I was talking before about securities lending, et cetera, et cetera. Um, when the, ES, the US and EU are in sync, obviously that works the best for everybody. This out of sync nature, I think can only be a short lived period. So it's gonna to have to be addressed at some point. Yeah, Steve, you asked for, from my perspective, I mean, the, what, what we've heard, it's quite a common phrase, maybe not word for word, but it's that Europe might want the shift, but it ne doesn't necessarily need it. So that seems to be the common, common feedback from the people we speak to. Um, so not, uh, there's not urgency there, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I will admit, right? So I think from, an, uh, from a market participant perspective, we're pushing the drive much more so than receiving, a, let's say, a pull from clients and or other industry participants. Uh, and I think just because behind the scenes, there's, there's this tacit understanding that all of us want to be able to see one from a technology perspective, this move to T plus one, because it shows that we as an industry are forward thinking. And then two, the, the implicit benefit of the risk reduction in the settlement cycle but I don't think that's actually going to translate into a lot of tangible benefits for clients per se, or for investors per se, uh, very much more so for the actual market participants and market infrastructures. So I understand that point where they're saying, right, there's no real, there's no real need for it at the moment. But I would just say, though, that behind the scenes that the U.S. and the EU being out of sync is, will be problem, problematic long term. So I think now we can, we can come to T plus zero. And, uh, you know, what, what I want to ask you is, yeah, you you mentioned it, and it, it came up in the the letter you wrote to the SEC, and you know it's, it gets involved in most conversations around assessment times. But how much focus and energy should we be placing on conversations around T plus zero when we're already down this path of moving to T plus one over the next two years, which is obviously not going to be uh, an easy transition? I mean, what we're hoping for long term, this is going to a Steve Wager and a BNY Mellon perspective, is that. The end state of this work, at least in the United States and North America, is that we're going to have a set of flexible settlement cycles, right? So based upon client need, asset type potentially, we'll be able to flex that settlement cycle anywhere from T0 to T5 or greater if the clients need to be, right? And that our, our systems and our processes are in such state that we can handle that. Now, I think that, as I mentioned earlier, uh, people may not be aware that we're already processing 30% of U.S. volumes on a T0 basis. This is obviously fixed income. All right, so that means that we can handle it today. The question really is going to come down to, on the equity side of the fence, does that make sense? Will we actually see further risk reductions? Or is it really a marketing effort for all intents and purposes? And I, I would argue to say that it would be a shame if we didn't take this opportunity and what we're building for T1 to at least be ready and prepared for a T0 operation uh, where it makes sense, although we don't need to make a holistic change to T0 currently. But, but overall with, with T0, you know, the benefits long term, like you say, if we're looking years down the line, the, the benefits outweigh any kind of challenges or drawbacks with, with T plus zero. Not to put words in your mouth, just, just asking. Yeah, and I think really the, the main thing that we think about is what does that mean for banks like BNY Mellon? Um, what does that mean specifically for credit facilities? Because in a T0 processing environment, unless we can process real-time gross, we're probably are going to be in a situation where people have to pre-fund a lot of their activity. <clears throat> and that's going to be tough for a lot of market participants simply because of turnaround trading and the, it's simply the flow of cash. So does that leave the custodian banks primarily in a situation where we need to front the money for the entire street? Or should we be looking at something different to be able to ensure the longevity of that? 
kind of unknown at this point. We need to work through that. But I do think at least, um, you know, there's always been concerns about what are what is the future of global custodians and custody generally. Um, but this notion of our ability to fund banks, fund the industry, really play the role that a bank is meant to do in the securities processing business, at least secures us a future state there. Well, Steve, that's excellent. Look, we've covered everything in such a broad range of uh, areas here. But I guess why don't we finish off, if I could just ask you, if, if there is that one message you want to give to our listeners today to, to sum up what we've been talking about and to close the conversation. I, I would actually just be making more of a universal plea here, right, which is simply that we as global custodians, we as a securities processing industry are facing unknown challenges in the form of fintech, digital assets, et cetera. We need to be able to be in a place to demonstrate that we can continue to innovate, we can continue to reduce risk, and that the securities processing model and conventions that we bring to the table are in fact um, sustainable and, and long-term viable for the business. And I think our ability to demonstrate that is evidenced by our simply our move to T plus one, right? We're moving ahead, we're reducing risk, we're adding new technologies. Our long-term eventual ability to flex into T0 is also going to be a statement to the world that we are ready for the future state model, whether that's traditional securities in dematerialized form or digital assets that will also be processed over our applications. We're ready and willing to change as the, as the future of the securities processing business evolves. Excellent message to, to finish on there. And, uh, you know, Steve, I think what we wanted to do today is talk about some aspects of the assessment cycles that aren't necessarily discussed in every other discussion and um, haven't been covered before. And I think we absolutely did that. So thanks so much for your thoughts and your time today and being on the show. Yeah, well, I appreciate the time and thank you.